Good morning. Uh, my name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's my privilege, wow, to preach to you today, and I'm excited to do it. Um, most of my time, I'm not up here in the pulpit preaching. Uh, I spend a lot of my time with community groups, so community group people, leaders, yeah, I know you're out there. Um, shout out to you. I spend a lot of my time there, but it's my privilege today to get to preach to you, and in a couple weeks, so excited for that. And I guess I have to share, you know, as Doug said, there, there are people we know this season is not easy for. I, I remember a year ago, uh, and more than that, hearing things like that and thinking, I don't know what he's talking about. This last year, I know many of you know um, that my mom passed away in September, and um, experience is just a brutal teacher for what that means. And I, I feel today this is my first time back preaching, and I just, you know, she loved it when I would preach. And so this is hard. I feel like I'm preaching with a limp today. And if you're here and those words resonate with you, you know, the, the difficulties of the season, especially if you've lost someone, whether it's this year, and, you know, I had people come to me after the first service and say, you know, 30 years later, it's not easy. Um, I hope you know you have, you're in good company of, of people who, who have missing people. Um, but today, we get to rejoice in the hope that we have in Jesus, and, um, and we have an especially pertinent passage in John that especially addresses our need for spiritual family, our need to be brought into the family of God, to have uh, what we all need and uh, what none of us deserve, which is just the perfect family to be brought into. Um, you know, on June 9th, 2012, I walked up to Katie Onan, now Katie Hope, my wife's door, and I rang the doorbell, and I was so nervous. I was shaking. I was dressed in something like this. I was looking as nice as I could as like a 21-year-old guy, and I just was so nervous. I knew, and I saw she opened the door, and I saw the look on her face, and it was the look of someone who knows nothing's ever going to be the same ever again. Okay. You're probably wondering why. Okay, well, there's a few relevant details. Okay, well, actually, here's a better way to tell the story. For about three years, about actually three years and one month to the day, Katie and I had been dating. I spent a lot of time together. I really liked her, you know. It seemed like she really liked me. And I said, you know, I love you. Uh, a few months before this happened, we had gotten together. I'd say, you know what, I think I, I, think I want to marry you. Do, you. do you think you would... Have you thought about that at all? Well, so I had one of those conversations. Uh, a couple months after that, we went to a jewelry store, and we started looking at some items there, right? And on that very day, uh, I had sent Jill, her little sister, to her house, and I said, hey, why don't you tell Katie, let's get all dressed up, and we're going to go have a nice dinner, sister dinner. They don't do sister dinners. So Katie knew something's up, okay? And so nervous Thomas rang the doorbell. Katie opened it, and she knew. She knew, what was gonna, she knew what was in my pocket, right? You guys know too, because uh, we were going to get engaged. Now, two different ways of telling that story, but when you have those little unexpected details right at the front, they prepare you to know what to, what to expect with the rest of the story. And in John's, the prologue to John's gospel, which is what we're going to be reading today, if you want to flip over to John 1, uh, it's this far through your Bible, if that's helpful, okay? <laughs> Page 1377. Probably not the same for you. Anyway, or click over there. What John is doing in his prologue is just that. He's giving us the details, and especially, and at many points, he's sort of undermining our expectations for the story so that when we do hear it, 
the story of Jesus, the story of what he did on earth, we can actually hear it rightly and understand it rightly. Um, so, uh, turn there, and I'm going to read it aloud, John 1, 9 through 13. <clears throat> it says this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is God's word for us today. It's, it's good for us. It's good for us to hear it, to receive it, to obey it. And I want you to hear today, Parkview, from this passage, that Jesus offers a salvation like no other. Jesus offers a salvation like no other, so embrace him today. In, in this passage, John the Apostle gives us a totally unique perspective on the unexpectedness of the story of Christmas. First, he's going to teach us about the unexpected origin of, of the salvation that Jesus brings. Then he's going to teach us about the unexpected plan of Jesus' salvation. And finally, he's going to talk about the unexpected means of Jesus' salvation, how we take hold of it. If you liked a particular turn of phrase, it's going to go like this. Where did his salvation come from? How did he do it? And how do we get in? So, but first, let's pray that the Lord would teach us all these things. Uh, I can do my best, but unless he moves, uh, nothing will happen. So let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that you preserved it for us uh, without error, with all its goodness for us today. But we also confess that um, unless you're in the room moving, in our hearts moving, doing what only you can do, then we're really a bit hopeless. So we pray that you would do just that. Do what only you can do. Come and, and open our hearts, give light to our eyes so that we can see all that you have done in Jesus. Do all this uh, to make him famous. And we pray in his name, amen. So we're going to learn three things about the salvation that Jesus came to bring, the unexpected thing, three unexpected things. The first is about the unexpected origin of Jesus' salvation, unexpected origin. We see this, if you look down with me in verses 9 and 10. John narrates Jesus' birth. Uh, he's talking about Jesus' birth here. And in fact, it's really interesting. If you look at 9 through 11, it uh, actually tells the entire story of what Jesus does. He's, the true light comes to the world, and then he's rejected. That's... He just narrated all of world history up to 33 BC. Anyway, uh, just a note. But the tr he, he says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Hmm. You know, to begin Jesus' story, if we're, if, if we're reading sort of the story of just a mere kind of religious guru, wise guy, you know, we'd expect a story, you know, Jesus is born, he sort of gets enlightened, and then he, t he teaches everyone how to also be enlightened, maybe something like that. Instead, uh, Jesus, or John wants us to be sure and to see that Jesus is not just another religious guru, but he is the preexistent, true light that's coming into the world. Uh, on Thursday of last week, our community group had a little get-together for Christmas. Uh, we ate some soup. We did the whole thing. We, you know, it was really fun. And uh, one of the things we did is we flipped out our Bibles, and uh, we flipped not to the story of John, but actually to the story of Matthew. Um, that's because, you know, when you think of Christmas, 
you think of the way that, that uh, Matthew narrates a story. You know, in Matthew, he tells us about Jesus, you know, Joseph with the dream and the donkeys and the sheep and the hay and the manger and Jesus being born and the angels and everything we just sang about. You know, all the things that come to mind with Christmas, all the things uh, that my little son Jack, you know, with his nativity set that he wants to put in his mouth. You know, sheep, donkeys, those sorts of things. That's what we think of, right? That's what we expect from a nice Christmas nativity story. That's what Matthew does. He tells us all about that. It's important stuff. That's what Luke does. Uh, Mark, he doesn't really seem to care about Jesus being born at all. He skips all the way to Jesus' baptism. But John, John, he doesn't do either of those. What does he do? John, he wants to, to tell us right off the bat that Jesus was born, but it was a birth unlike any other. You know, I, I, you see all these things like um, gender reveal parties when people are having a kid, you know, or you see videos on Facebook. Surprise the husband, you know. Wow, we're having a baby, and it's a sort of special thing. The one phrase that I often don't, I've never seen in one of those announcements is, our baby, the true light, is coming into the world. No, he, he's not, it's not, it's like no other birth. Uh, he does this, he shows us this in two ways with a couple of, of key phrases. First, he says in verse 9, like we said, or like we saw, uh, that Jesus is the true light. The true light. What do you mean, the true light? Uh, some of you coming home from college probably, or maybe you're still here, um, you just took a bunch of finals, and so when you think true, what's he mean true? He mean, obviously he means the opposite of false, because that's the question. True, false, right? A, B, C, D, true, no. Well, actually, that's not what he's talking about. Not true as in the opposite of false, but something else altogether. And if we read the rest of John, what we figure out is this. So if you look in John uh, 6, 32, Jesus tells us that he is the true bread from heaven. The true bread from heaven. True. Hmm. Now, he's not, what he's not saying is, I'm the true bread. I'm not plastic bread that you can't eat. I'm true, I'm actual, no, 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 no. That's not what he's getting at. You think of John 15, uh, which we actually, we went, did a whole series in John uh, in the spring of last year, um, and we learned that Jesus says, I am the true vine, okay? Not, he's not saying I'm not like the fake vine. What's he talking about here? It's not the opposite of false. It's something more meaningful. It's something fuller. When Jesus said he's the true bread from heaven, what he was saying is, he, he was saying, I am the ultimate fulfillment of God's providential power and care for his people, for my people, I guess. He was saying, you remember back in the Old Testament days, when Moses, you know, the people were wandering through the wilderness after they had escaped from Egypt, right? And they were all hungry, and God says, I'll feed you bread from heaven. And he did that. And Jesus says, I'm the true bread from heaven. I'm the bread that has come to satisfy your deepest soul's hunger, your, your soul's deepest hunger, and only I can do it. I'm the true bread. I'm the bread that all bread has been pointing to. In John 15, when he said, I'm the true vine, he meant, I'm the, I'm the fulfillment of what all of God's people throughout all eras should have been. I am the true vine. I am the true uh, version of God's people. And so when John says that Jesus is the true light, he's not saying he's different, you know, light. He, what he's saying is this. In the idea of light is, is the idea of God revealing himself. In a world of darkness that Jesus comes into, Jesus is the light that shows us who God is. It is God unfolding his character and attributes and person to a world that has collectively turned their backs on him. It's the light coming into the darkness. While at other times in history, God had, had invaded through his prophets, 
to show what God is like, to, to proclaim what God is like, uh, through his leaders like Moses and David, to show how God might rule and things like that. Jesus is not another prophet. Jesus is not another wise man. Jesus, in Jesus, the creator has visited his creation. And while that idea, because of Christmas and we celebrated and it's wonderful that that's become normal to us, to John's audience, nothing could have been more far-fetched than the idea that God would become a man. And yet that's the very point that John wants to stress because he knows that it's going to be hard for them to accept. John wants to point this out, that he is the true light the true king of the universe, whose conception and birth were not the beginning of his story, but the climax of the story that began in creation and will be finished when Jesus comes once again to set all things right. No, this is not the beginning of the story. This is the climax of the story. And it's a special thing to think that God looked out into his world and saw people like you and me and planned forever to come to, come to us. In a few days, we'll be, you know, opening Christmas gifts. Uh, likely, you know, many of us will be opening our Christmas gifts. And, and I sort of imagine, you know, there's different kinds of gifts to get, you know. And I know sort of people, um, just like, you know, Doug mentioned, you know, maybe more of a last-minute shopper, some more of a very uh, far in, in advance sort of shopper. Um, and in the first service, I, I didn't know he was going to ask that. So I planned an illustration. I hope you, it's okay. Ready? Okay, so imagine you're opening, opening your present, and what you notice, your loved one, wow, friend, you know, they've given you this gift, and out of the goodness of their heart, they want to bless you, right? And here's what you notice. You notice, wow, they've wrapped it, they've wrapped it in newspaper. Okay, great, practical, very practical, right? Uh, because wrapping paper, you know, you got to buy the paper, got to go to the store, you got to do the whole thing. So newspaper, good, good idea, practical. Um, then you notice, wow, it's not just newspaper, <clears throat> It's today's newspaper. Okay, um, that's cool. That's cool. So there's a, sort of a last-minute wrapper of gifts. That's okay. Um, then you, you open it. Oh, great. Gift card. Practical, right? Look at the, the receipts there. Wow, they bought it 12.24, 10 p.m. Okay, I mean, great gift. Let me just, and no judgment on anyone who gives that gift and is planning on that. That's totally fine. But on the other hand, I want you to imagine sort of a different scenario. Your loved one comes, and they, they plop this gift on your lap, and you can see just by the look in their face that this is really something special, okay? And they say to you, since December 25th of last year, I have been planning this gift for you. I have been thinking, I have been thinking on your life, your personality, uh, the, the, what I know about you, what I'm able to do, and I have just done everything in my power to bless you. I've been working uh, with my own hands to create something that's, that's truly going to work and, and be great for you. And for the last 364 days, I have been just laboring to produce something wonderful. And so here it is. That is exactly what Jesus has done by coming to us. The unexpected origin of Jesus' salvation is incredible because Jesus' salvation has been coming to us since, since the beginning of time. It was, it was not the beginning of God's mission, but the long-awaited climax of God's plan to serve, to save us. He hasn't been planning for 364 days to bless us with Jesus. He's been planning since time began. Can you believe 
that there was, a, there was a moment in history when the Son of God, all-powerful, all all-knowing, perfect, weighed less than a gram and lived in his mother's womb. Who, who could have expected that? And, and how far won't this God go for us? Parkview, Jesus offers a salvation like no other, so embrace him today. The second unexpected aspect of Jesus' salvation is the, is the plan of salvation itself. Um, we learn about the unexpected plan of salvation in verses 10 and 11, if you look down with me there. It says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And yet, John wants to point out, this is the exact way that God plans to save the world. We would expect that the Lord of heaven who comes uh, to his creation, the world that he has created, by the way, the world that Hebrews 1 says, apart from his sustaining power, would just fall away atom by atom. You would expect that when the creator comes, he would, he would receive a warm welcome. The creation would embrace him with open arms, his people, his very people in verse 11. He comes to his own people. And, and they not only don't accept him, they reject him. They outright reject him. As we know, he suffers and dies at their hands. Unexpectedly, instead of re- receiving the warm welcome that the king of kings deserves, he receives just the opposite. And yet, John wants us to see, though it was unexpected, it was all going according to God's plan. Jesus' Jesus's plan of salvation is incredibly unexpected. When John's audience heard the prologue to this gospel, when they imagine, you know, you're, you're a first century person receiving this and you're hearing, look, this is the story of salvation. Listen to it, listen to it. When you heard this prologue, you certainly never would have, never would have expected a savior who would be God himself, which is what we learned in the, our first point from, verses nine, from verse nine. Even more than that, you never would have ex- expected a salvation that would be accomplished in this manner. Uh, think about it. It's, it's really just so upside down, the way that the king comes to save his people. The gospel is just the, the craziest story you've ever heard. It, it, according to logic, it just it doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't fit, and yet that's the way that God has done it. In some ways, John, John's audience and their expectations that John is sort of trying to undermine a little bit, it reminds me of this job posting that I found just a few days ago. Okay, so I don't know if you're job hunting, but here. There's a job in, in uh, IT, Okay, you would be an application support analyst. What does that mean? I don't know. But <clears throat> if you're interested, let me know. Um, and this, so they say, so only if the below qualifications are met, send your resume in Word format. So you're going to need Word format skills um, to blah, 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 email address. Okay, so here's, here are the qualifications. Ready? Master's degree in a business discipline. Minimum of 15 years experience. Or they say, if you don't have the master's, just add another 10 years of experience and that'll be okay. So 25 years of experience. And by the way, they want to let you know, this is an entry-level position. Okay. Well, I just have to be honest, I don't think they're going to get a lot of interest from this ad. Because I think they're looking for a candidate that doesn't really exist, right? Um, No one has a resume that fits that, that's going to be, oh, entry-level job. No way. Right? Like John's audience, they need to have their expectations adjusted if they're ever going to find the right person. The people of Israel were seeking a savior. They're seeking a Messiah. They're looking for the one who will come and throw off Rome, right, and their oppressive rule, and will restore them to national prominence and relevance and prosperity and all that. And yet at every point, 
their job description does not match the person who Jesus is. And John knows that. He knows if he tells this story without undermining those expectations to begin with, then like this, this job hunter, they're going to have no success. They're never going to see Jesus who, for who he really is. Think about this. At every point, they would have expected the opposite of who Jesus was. They would have expected someone born of royalty, you know, like King David or, or like Moses, someone, one of those famous people, right? Instead, Jesus is born in a backwater town of suspicious paternity. Who's his real dad, right? They would have expected someone who was just utterly remarkable from birth, right? Full of charisma and all sort of, you know, going to the right schools, going to the right, knowing the right people and all that. Instead, he grows up in this backwater town no one's ever heard of, so that when he begins to have some followers and some influence, what do people say? Could the Savior really come from Nazareth? They expected someone rich, someone well-appointed, someone well-resourced. Instead, uh, when Jesus comes into the temple and they ask him about taxes, one of my favorite episodes of the Gospels, um, they say, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And what does Jesus say? Does anyone have a quarter? He doesn't have a, he doesn't have a quarter to do a sermon illustration. He has to ask the audience. Can you imagine? He doesn't, he's penniless. And he, they would expect someone famous and popular that everyone would want to follow. And at, at his death, Jesus is abandoned by all his followers. You know, we talk about, you know, we think about Microsoft or Apple and we go, can you imagine the company, a trillion dollar company growing from just like two guys in a garage, right? Well, if you think that's impressive, how about, that's, that's an impressive movement, but how about starting your movement with a dead guy? End of list. And now you have two billion followers, okay? Who would have ever expected this? They would have expected just an invincible military conqueror who could finally put down the power of Rome. Instead, they get a crucified carpenter. What? Jesus' way of saving his world was nothing like what any of us would have drawn up. John knows that his audience then, and we have to say us now, would have expected a, a, a savior who would come and achieve salvation through power through sheer force of will, a savior who would come, accumulate support and strength, and finally defeat their enemy's power and influence over them. But Jesus was not and is not. His way was not and is not the way of the world. It's the way of the cross. And it turns our expectations upside down. Because the only way to undo death was for life himself to die. The only way for us to become God's children is if God turned his back on his true son. The only way for the light to go forth, the true light to go forth, would be for the true light to be extinguished. And on the cross, Jesus accomplished just that. John knew that if his readers were to understand the, the magnitude, the gravity of what was happening on the cross, he first had to deconstruct their prior expectations for what they were hearing. And we have to do that today, too. I think of it like um, my wife and I have really gotten into sparkling water, sort of a healthy alternative. Is anyone here? LaCroix? Okay, yeah, I see some hands. Good. Um, and we've had a struggle. You know, one of the hard things about it is we try to introduce it to our friends, you know, because they'll come over and they say, oh, you got a Coke? You got a Sprite? You got it? We say, no, but we have LaCroix. Often they're very disappointed. And uh, we realize that what we have to do is we have to introduce this drink to them in a very particular way. We have to set their expectations correctly. Because what we say to them is, look, if you drink this drink expecting Coke, you're going to be so disappointed. But if you drink this drink expecting just plain water, 
your mind will be blown, okay? You're going to love it. If you're expecting sweet and you get no sweet, you're so disappointed. If you're expecting nothing and you get a nice bubbly flavor, you'll be very happy, right? Well, in the same way, I know that's a silly example, but the way that you approach Jesus' salvation uh, is also going to be conditioned by your expectations for what it means for him to be a savior and for us to be saved. And, and maybe you're here thinking, salvation? What are, it's such a religious word, isn't it? It didn't start that way. It started out as a, as a military word. To be saved meant your enemies didn't get you, right? And, and for us today, it's not just a religious word. You're, you're here and you're thinking, how do I, I notice these patterns of behavior in my life. I notice that I'm responding to my kids, to my wife, to my workmates in ways that I know I probably shouldn't. How can I ever change? How do I, how do I really change as a person? You need salvation. You're here and you're thinking, how do I, I've been chasing the carrot at work, always seems to be three inches in front of my nose, and I work and I work and I work. 60 hours, 70 hours, what do I need to do? 80 hours, no vacation? What do I need to do to finally get that sense of fulfillment and meaning that I truly, truly need? Do you know what you need? You need what Jesus is offering you. That is what you need. And if we're going to experience it, of course we need to have our expectations set correctly. We all here have to be honest, whether we are here and we would say, Jesus is my king, I worship him only, or if you're here and you're saying, I'm really just trying to figure this life out, Jesus is, is not the Messiah that any of us would have expe expected. We all come to him with misplaced expectations for who Jesus is and what he should or could do for us. And at the bottom of many of ours, I don't know about you, but I find that what I really want Jesus to do is to fix all of my problems without fixing anything in me. But he will not be content unless he has all of you. We all have points where Jesus makes us a bit uncomfortable. And that's what a real relationship is like. I remember, you know, when Katie and I started dating, and if you've talked to anyone who, you know, say you've, people have been together for just a little bit, or even in a good friendship, uh, you eventually hit that point, you know, you hear people say, we never fight. Oh, we never have arguments. Yeah, we just get together so well. We've never had a, f just wait. You say, you think, oh, you're not there yet, you know, just wait, you, you get two people together, they're different, you're going to hit some tension eventually. You almost get worried, you say, oh, they're not to that point yet, they don't know each other well enough yet. That's, that's the way it is with us and Jesus. How can a perfect person and an imperfect person interact and not have a little bit of tension? Where are those points in your relationship with God, in your relationship with Jesus, his son? Where does Jesus make you squirm a little bit? What, what is he poking on in your life? that feels a little bit uncomfortable. Do you know what those places are? What do you find hard to swallow? Is it that he just insists on your personal holiness in every realm? Is he poking on a little habit that you've been nursing that you know you need to let go of, that you know you maybe need to share with someone? Is it, is it tough to see Jesus loving people that you find so hard to love, offering grace to people that you find so hard to forgive? Do you find it difficult? I'm... Boy, let me raise my hand first on all these, but especially, do you find it hard when you find that Jesus' agenda for the people and, and activities in your life doesn't really match what you had imagined? Let me be the first one to say, we're always going to be there. We're always going to be not there yet. Uh, Jesus pushes us forward toward holiness, but he's always with us. And I hope you also have some people alongside you who can remind you that God loves nothing more than when we come to him in the midst of that tension and say, I don't know if I can do it. 
I don't know if I believe. I don't know if I have full faith. Give me more faith. God loves when we come to him in weakness and need. It's, it's really the only thing we have to offer to him. That is the salvation that he offers. That is a salvation like no other. No one could have imagined it. No one could have planned it. Jesus, Parkview, offers a salvation like no other. So embrace him today. Whether it's the first time or the 500th time, go to him. The last thing that we learn about Jesus' unexpected salvation is the unexpected means of his salvation. We learn this in verses 12 and 13, if you want to look there with me now. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You notice here how John goes out of his way to point out how Jesus' salvation doesn't work. We have this really funny sentence. You know, if, if, John, if, this, if John were giving this to his Greek professor, he would get very low marks for this, but he knows what he's doing. It says, who were born, in verse 13, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. He first wants to get these three things. I want to be very clear. These are not how we achieve or receive salvation. But to be born of God is what it means to receive salvation. If in verses 10 and 11 we were learning what it took, this unexpected way that Jesus accomplished salvation, achieved salvation, in verses 12 and 13 uh, we are being shown what it means, the unexpected way that we receive salvation. Verses 10 and 11, how Jesus achieved it. Verses 12 and 13, how we receive it. Both very unexpected. John has something very important to tell us here. Uh, and he uses these two literary devices to, to make his point. First, he uses this very peculiar metaphor. The idea that to be saved is like being born into a family. Now, it's, it's a nice metaphor because most people have some experience of family, whether you've observed one or you've been a part of one, that pretty much everyone has, has had that experience. <clears throat> but it's, why, why does he pick this one? Where, where do these two things overlap? What does being born into a family have to do with being rescued by God? Well, let me show you. Okay, raise your hand if you chose your parents. Okay, I'm seeing no hands. And that's because none of us did that. Okay? Uh, anyway, you know, none of us has ever sat back and thought, you know what? And, it, and I feel like the further I get in life, the more I see... You know, having a great family really sets you on a good course. It really is important. That's what John is saying, that partly here. But none of us get to choose. None of us, you know, got to choose. None of, and, and what he's saying is, salvation is of the Lord. It is just, salvation is just of the Lord. None of us is in this room because we said, you know what? In the end, I think this would be the best thing for me. He's saying, no, we are like that little baby, baby infant, tiny little person still in the womb. What did they do? No, it's not that God can sort of drags us kicking and screaming, and yet ultimately none of us can boast because salvation is of the Lord. He is the one who does the work. Secondly, uh, as we mentioned before, God, John goes out of his way to point out what salvation, how it doesn't work. Uh, and he says, he says, not of blood, will of the flesh, the will of man. When he says blood, you know, we're not born of blood, uh, it seems that he's referring to, it's literally, it says bloods, and he seems to be referring to ethnicity, to race. Second, he says, not of the will of the flesh, which seems to be referring to sort of human effort, as if I've done it, right? I've achieved salvation. 
And thirdly, he says, not of the will of man, which seems to be referring to sort of being born into the right family, being born sort of to the right parents, just like we said. And when you put it all together, the image that John specifically goes out of his way in the middle of his sentence to deny, the image that he wants to deny about salvation is that God looks out into the world and sees these sort of ethnically pure, morally upright, and just overall really wonderful people and says, ah, those are some good ones. I think I'd like them. John wants his readers to know, the readers who have not yet really even gotten into the, the whole content of the gospel, to know right off the bat that if you, if you view Jesus through that lens, you will not just misunderstand him, you will totally miss him. This is a misunderstanding, is a lie that will keep you from ever understanding who Jesus is. If you ever think that I bring something great to Jesus and that he picks me for my team because he sees how great I am, then you will totally miss who, who he is. We need to hear this today and every day. Uh, first of all, though, it's very bad news, to be honest. Every one of us has a heart that has been just set adrift in the world by this ruptured connection with the, with the creator of the world. And even if we've trusted Jesus to save us, our hearts are still just often, I don't know about you, but just I find myself, my heart just casting about for resources uh, to deal with everyday problems that the Lord wants to intercede and, and do for me. Something, reaching out for something to tell myself that I'm really not that bad. I really don't need all that. Really? I need the creator to die for me? Could I really be that bad? We don't want to believe it. And so we looked at, we looked to, like John's family, we did look to our race, our family. Maybe we look to our morality. We say, I've been a very good person. I've been very well behaved, Lord, right? To, to, to fill the neediness in our hearts. And yet, our neediness is the only thing we bring to our salvation. For it said, our sin is the only thing that we can offer for salvation. Jesus does everything. God, today, is looking for spiritual orphans. He is not looking for spiritual auditions. None of us will pass muster. Yet this is also very good news. Uh, in Jesus, God has invited you into the family. God has made a place. He has made a place in the perfect family, the family that none of us deserve, but that every single one of us today needs. This passage uses three words to tell us how we ought to respond to God. And when we do respond that way, we will find ourselves having been born into the family of God. First, he says, know Jesus. Uh, we see this in, in verse 10. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. They should have. They should have known. They should have recognized him. So first, we should know Jesus. Sounds simple. What does that mean? What do you do with someone you know? Well, you talk to them. Talk to them in prayer. Go to God in prayer. Say to him, Lord, if you're there, Show me, show me who you are. Reveal yourself to me. You're the true light. Get, shine your light on me. Show me who God is. Know him by speaking with him and, and hearing from him. That's just like a normal relationship. We, we can learn from God in his word. He's written us his word. So begin to learn. Uh, I suggest the Gospel of John as a good place to start. Second, first know. Second, believe Jesus. That is, lay down your efforts to be enough. Confess the ways that you've tried and failed to be enough, to, to have enoughness, that, that feeling that I am, am not needy, I am not needy. Confess those ways and ask Jesus to forgive and restore. Not just today, but every day in a lifestyle of ongoing return to the Father for everything that we need. And third, so know, believe, and third, receive Jesus. Give him the welcome 
that we see that he didn't receive when he came to earth. The creator came to his creation and instead of re- giving, being given the king's welcome, right? Roll out the best for him in your hearts. He, he was rejected, but in your heart, receive him in the way that you would expect him to have been received. The creator has come. Give him, roll out the red carpet for him in your heart in every way. Let him, let him do some stuff, okay? Let him, let him start renovating in your heart. Let him knock down a few walls. Uh, tear down a wall or two and start making what he intended you to always be. And I know many of you here already knowing, believing, and, and having received Jesus. And my challenge to you uh, is to have a heart-to-heart with the Lord. Um, just, just last night, my wife and I went out and we had a little date. And one of the things that we did was we spent some time just sort of evaluating our, our relationship. How are we doing? Um, are there things we can improve on, our communication, those sorts of things? And I would invite you, if you're here, and you'd say, I know, I, I believe, and I re- I've received, to do that with the Lord today. Uh, maybe, you know, in the interim while we're sort of worshiping, you just, just ask the Lord, what, what are you pleased with in my life right now? What do you see that you, you love? And is there anything that you want to change? Lord, feel free to put your finger on it. <sighs> what the Father wants more than anything today is for us to come to him. And when you do come to him, this passage is telling us, whether it's for the first time you're coming to him or you're returning your, your wayward heart like I have so many times for the 10,000th time, what you'll find is, a, is, is that you are God's precious, precious child. That he's for you. He's committed to you. He's committed to your good. You might not know that it's your good yet, but he's fully committed to you. Now, I don't know about you, but the idea of God being a father has been one that's always been challenging for me. And I read this passage, this is obviously what really comes to mind, to be invited into this family. Growing up, I didn't just have one father. I had, I had a sequence of fathers. I had a father from birth to five. I had a father, a different father from seven to nine. I had a different father uh, in my teenage years. And each of them fell short in different ways. And when I would read the Bible, I would see that God is our Heavenly Father. And the only thing I had to compare that to, the only reference I had was my earthly father. And so I would think, if God is our Heavenly Father, was that, does that mean he runs out on us? Does that mean he, he curses at me? Does that mean he, he, he's never really happy with me? If I, don't, if I don't do good enough, then he'll leave. God transformed me uh, through passages like this to see that our Heavenly Father is nothing like our earthly father. Our earthly, my earthly fathers. He is a perfect father. A perfect father who deserves a perfect son. A son which I could never be, which none of us could ever be. They showed me that at the cross, God, who is our true and perfect Heavenly Father, turned his back on his one perfect son, the son that I should have been, his son Jesus, to make a place for me and for you in the family of God. On the cross, Jesus turned his back, the Father turned his back on his son so that each of us could be brought into the family. Some of you are here today and you are dreading this next week because it means you're going to have to endure difficult relationships. You're going to have to see people that you might not always enjoy seeing. You're going to have to endure situations that, while they're not discussed, they're plastered over every wall and every conversation. 
the things that you can't talk about, can't touch, and you're wondering, does the Lord know how this feels? Does, does the Lord care about it? Is he with me in it? And you need to remember that you have a refuge in the family of God. In the moments where you feel tempted to disengage, tempted to lash out, tempted to take care of that need in so many ways apart from the Lord, I want you to remember and rest in the reality of your place in the family of God. Draw strength from our big brother Jesus and, and do as he says. Some of you are here today and you're hoping this week will pass by quickly, um, not because you have difficult relationships to deal with, but because you're single, you're lonely, and you feel like no one knows how you feel. No one cares. No one is near to you. But this week, I want you to remember that Jesus knows exactly how you feel. Jesus knows and has experienced all the pains and disappointments and sorrows of this world so that he could spare you from the ultimate pain. And so, of course, he will take care of you. Of course, he will be near to you. None of us, if we belong to Jesus, can say, I am utterly alone. Because we have one who the Proverbs says is closer than a brother, the Lord Jesus. Some of you are here today, and like me, you're filled with sorrow because there's a chair at the table that is not going to be filled this year. Whether it was last year or 30 years ago that you lost someone that you love, this, year, this time of year is just a reminder that they're not there anymore. And I want you to remember that God is a father who knows what it means to lose a son. And that Jesus is a brother who knows what it means to lose a friend. And so you can go to him with your pain because he came to absorb it so that he could restore you. And some of you, praise God, have little idea what I'm talking about <laughs> um, because the holidays are full of joy and, um, and none of us has a perfect family, um, but your family really reminds you of what it means to belong to the family of God. And so I hope that you press into that reality and let it point you to the one who gave that gift. Um, Parkview, no, who could have called the salvation that Jesus has given us? Who could have known it? Who could have seen this coming? Isn't it wonderful what he's done for us? Uh, I just, I can't wait to sing together and rejoice because the family of God is here among us. We belong to one another in Jesus. I pray this week, you know, probably every one of us knows someone in those first few categories that's hurting, that has certain pains this, this time of year, and that we would care for one another, nourish one another, remind one another of the truths of who God is and the family that he's brought us into, and imitate what God has done for us by wrapping our arms around the people that need it most. And, of course, I hope we wrap our arms around Jesus, who he is, and somehow to comprehend what he's done for us because it's truly, truly glorious. Parkview, Jesus offers a salvation like no other, so embrace him today. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, you have been so good to us. We are people who have fallen short but you are a God who has come down. The light has come down. The true light has come down to show us the ultimate reality is, is a man dying on a cross for his enemies. And so I pray if we're here and we know you, that we have embraced that reality, that you would push it further and deeper in our hearts. Help us in these next few minutes to have an honest moment with you, to hear what you love in our lives, what you want to change in us this year. 
whether if we're here and we haven't embraced you, that you would put in our hearts this, a sense of the truth of who you are. And that at the, at the least that we would see, even if I don't believe this story, I wish it were true. Help it. Help us to believe it more and more. And in all this, we pray that you would receive much glory and honor and help us to just praise you and worship you with just glad abandon now because we are children of the Father. Do all this for your glory. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.